welcome to Hit for Six. It is Sunday the 14th of June and it's a, a cloudy day where I am, but it's a, another great opportunity to discuss all things cricket. We're now approaching a very, very exciting point in our podcast series of selecting the England, our England 11 of the last 20 years because this is it. It's time to pick the seam attack and once we're done today, we'll have an 11. We might have a couple of podcasts coming in the next couple of weeks where we look back on it, discuss it, what might we have changed in hindsight. But today's a big day. Three slots to fill, three seam bowlers who are going to be our, our core attack to go with Graham Swan, our spinner, to take 20 wickets. It's going to be great. We've got Freddie Larkins back with us. And of course, Michael's here with me always. And I'll start with you, Freddie. How are you? I'm oh, very good, thank you. Last time I overslept by 20 minutes, so it's good to be here on time. <laughs> I mean, Freddie, you actually beat, you beat us here. We were slightly late, weren't we? So, um, fair play to you. We also went to have another guest, but he is, I think, still sleeping. So, that curse still continues to hit the pod. Um, but yeah, it's good to have you, Freddie. It's one of the dangers of recording fairly early in the morning. I mean, I'd say 9.30 on a Sunday morning isn't isn't scandalously early, but apparently for some, for some people it's unfathomable that we'd record anything at, at this early hour. <laughs> early bird catches the worm, Rob. I think me and you, we, I think we're, it's lucky that we do this together and we're the two are regularly on because we both like getting up early and getting on with it. So, um, yeah, but anyway, it's, it's cloudy where I am as well, but I'm excited to pick this three-man seam attack. So, Rob, do you want to quickly run through the team so far? Yeah, so we've had, opening the batting, Alistair Cook, Marcus Descothic. Michael Vaughan is at three, he's our captain. Kevin Peterson at four. Joe Root at five. Ben Stokes at six. Alex Stewart, our wicketkeeper, at seven. Graham Swan at eight. He might bat lower down the order, depending on the seamers we pick today, but at the moment, he's at eight. And so we've got these three spots left for seamers. I suppose the one thing saying before we kick off, and we might actually start with him, is the one player who you'd expect maybe bat higher up the order if he is selected is Andrew Flintoff, who's someone we haven't picked as of yet. So I thought he might be a good place to start. Michael, why haven't we picked him so far? And is he in the running for you as one of our, as one of our seamers? Well, I think the reason I haven't pushed for him so far is I was planning to push for him today, so I will. Um, because I think his batting, I'd rather have it at this slightly lower point down the order, although I would have him above Swan, because I don't want the pressure to be on his batting. I want him to be playing as a bowler he bats, which I think was what he was in the end as a player. Um, I want him to be someone who can come and biff it down the order, change the game, or you know submit further misery on the opposition when they're already in the mire. Um, and then I want him to just be bowling at its absolute best. And I think he could be a very good part of this seam attack because um, if we do end up picking potentially um, Broad and Anderson as the other two spots, I mean, it's not confirmed, but they've got to have a decent chance, right? I think Flintoff is very capable of playing that slightly... I mean, he's a, he's a wonderful bowler in his own right, but he can also play that enforcer role slightly better than the, than the two of them as well, I think. And so I think he could be really well suited. Plus, he's a wonderful slip fielder. He is a good slip fielder, but I feel we're fairly well covered at slip already. I mean, Ruth's not bad. Swan's excellent. Cook was very good. I mean, the whole bold Anderson caught Cook is the most bold caught combination of any pan not involving a wicketkeeper. So, yeah, he's certainly a capable slip fielder. So, uh, but that, that is a good point to raise. I'm, my feeling with Flintoff and why I don't think we should pick him is that we've already got an incredibly exciting and dynamic batting order. We've got the likes of Stokes coming in at six. He's someone who can be aggressive and take a game away from 
for, for a team. We, we've always already commented on several occasions that we feel we've got a, an aggressive and rich and exciting batting lineup. So it's batting for me is just something we don't really need to even consider because I feel we're already covered there completely. And so then you look at his bowling, 226 wickets, an average of 32.78. It's very similar. And that's one thing that's quite interesting about this debate is we've got a number of bowlers with very, very similar averages and wicket numbers of wickets. So Darren Goff, Andy Canick, Andrew Flintoff, Steve Harmison and Matthew Hoggard all played in a similar-ish era, all took between 220 and 250 test wickets and all averaged either just under or just over 30, which, is, which makes it a, a really tricky debate to have. Who's going who's to be our senior? Some of them are quite similar to each other. Caddick, Hoggard, Goff, swing bowlers, Flintoff, Harmison, Moore, hit the deck, seam bowlers. It's just, it's just difficult. But I think for Flintoff, going back to him, I wonder if his numbers just don't stand out enough. Only three I mean, five wicket hauls. So often there's other players taking like, a number of the wickets. Like, winning games with their bowling. I, I just wonder if he, he's, a great, he's such a good cricketer. He'll be a great 12th man, a great person in the squad. But is he, does he maybe, now we've gone with Stokes, does Flintoff miss out? I mean, if we're going to talk about moments, obviously 2005 as a whole, wonderful. 2009, he had his moments. But for me, the best over was that 2005 over where he got Langer and Ponting out and it was unbelievable. And for me, that's got to get him right in the frame for the discussion because that as a moment really stands out. What do you think, Freddie? The question, yeah, because if all these bowlers have very similar stats, 200, 250 on wickets, a shade over 30, does the question then become about moments and character and sort of that intangible ability to change a game? Which Flintoff undeniably had. Yeah, I think if we if we if you go with that, I mean, if we're going to have one bowler, he's going to he's going to be a game changing bowler. It'd probably be Stuart Broad. I think we'll come to him in a bit. But he's had a many a, a match winning spell in a game. But I think certainly Flintoff and Harmison bring a different dynamic. So if we are going to, which we'll talk about, and Anderson in particular, but I mean, I think Anderson has to be picked. But if you're already going to have an orthodox outswing bowler, I think that makes it harder to make the case for. Hoggard, Caddick, Goff, because they're... Uh, well, let me jump in. Let me jump in. Well, Michael, we can hold off on Matthew Hoggard. You'll have your moment in the sun with him in a second. But there's, they're also orthodox outswing bowlers. And so I think really the, the debate for that different type of seamer is Flintoff, Harmison, and then possibly Joffre, but you feel that he, because he's only played a handful of tests and very recently, probably can't quite qualify for this discussion yet. But yeah, maybe it's a Flintoff and Harmison. What are, what are our thoughts on Harmison then? I mean, he's got to be there, right? He was the world's number one bowler for a point. Um, his, what was it, seven for 12 against the West Indies? That's, that's a moment. You know, if we're talking about moments, that's a moment. And on his day, he was absolutely fearsome. But then also, when it was not his day, he was pretty hopeless. He also couldn't play away. As in, like, he could play away. Obviously, the West Indies hall came away, but he really struggled with homesickness. Um, and I think that would count against him when we're picking our dream team. We want a squad who can tour everywhere. Um, but then again, I guess that'd be harsh, and we didn't count it against Marcus Druscoffix. Maybe I shouldn't be factoring that into the discussion. What do you think, Freddie? Um, Harmison's away stat significantly, well, noticeably worse than his home stats, averaging 28 at home uh, and 37 away. So you're right. Do we have to think about away tests? 
I agree that when he was at the peak of his powers, no batsman in the world would want to would want to be facing up to Harmson. Steep bounce and fast. Um, but how often is he going to do that for us? Yeah, I. And what's frustrating with him is that you feel that as a bowler, he had a the kind of he was a type of bowler who should have succeeded around the world because he he didn't need it to be cloudy and 15 degrees in Leeds to take wickets. Yeah, he hit, hit the deck hard, fast, vicious, you could bowl really vicious deliveries. And so it's almost frustrating. You feel like what a player he could have been abroad and it's such a shame that he wasn't. But the fact that he wasn't, we can't really pick him on the basis of, oh, well, he should have been good away. If he wasn't, he wasn't. How, how do Flintoff's stats away compare, Freddie? Sorry, I'm just trying to find them. Um, so Flintoff's stats, I've got them up here. So away, he averaged um, 29.69 of the ball and at home, 36.11. So actually, that's a really strong argument in favour of Flintoff. The other thing that I've just seen is that Harmison's average against Australia, you know, if we're talking about moments, talking about games that are really important, the Ashes to me is the most important sporting event. It's the thing I want to win more than anything else, other than maybe the World Cup a couple of years ago. But the Ashes for me is the pinnacle. Harmison's average against Australia, despite having a good 2005 series, his average against Australia is 41. Flintoff's 33. Yeah, fine. I'm, I'm on board. I think for me, less the Ashes, but the away stats are really telling. I'm putting Harmson on the scrap heap. I came into this, just for the record, listeners, I was ready to pick Harmson. He was my third seam. I thought he was just such a brilliant bowler when he was on song. He could rip a team apart. But his, his stats just don't stack up to what he could occasionally achieve. Maybe too some mercurial, inconsistent. But if he's yeah, averaging 41 against Australia and 37 away from home generally, I don't think he can be making a best England eleven of the of the last twenty years. So um, we just quickly, I mean, would we agree that it's pretty good? It's a pretty good record of someone's quality and reliability if their home and away records are pretty similar. I, I think we'd all agree with that, right? Oh, definitely. Um, so let's let's talk about Hoggard. Home home average thirty point seven three, away average thirty point two six. He just never lets you down. He never ever let you down, and. What's really interesting about Hoggard is, um, with me and Rob were talking about briefly before, the BBC did an analysis of England's top 10 wicket takers of all time. And they basically, the way they did it is they took the wickets they'd taken and they, t- they, were, they looked at who the batsmen were and they uh, averaged scores for how good the batsmen were for that time. And Hoggard came out on top because he always got good batsmen out. Um, I'm pretty sure Ted Dorker was his bunny. And um, same with Matthew Hayden. So... Hoggard, for me, always did such a reliable job. And he wrote a really good book, Into the Bargain. And I just think him and Anderson with the new ball, what a sight. <laughs> I love your book-based selection policy. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> They've written a good book, they're in. <laughs> it, is, it is an important criteria for Michael, certainly. And so, I, in fact, as well, I think just on the, he's the best bowler England ever had based on who he got out. I haven't looked in depth at this study, but the initial flawed methodology that strikes out at me is you've got to look at the era they were playing in. And Hoggard played in the absolute sweet spot for the era of all the real sort of gun batsmen who scored loads of runs. So Tendulkar, Dravid, Saywag, Hayden, Langer, Ponting, Callis, Graham Smith, guys who are, if you look at the top test run scores of all time, are all up there. It was an era of flatter pitches, better batting pitches, a glut of quality batsmen. 
And so I do think that that, that must have a massive contributor into why he's come out on top, because the players he played against. And when you think about as Stuart Broad or James Anderson, maybe one of the reasons they haven't come up against players who've scored, scored quite so many runs is, is possibly because they keep getting them out cheaply. You know, Hoggard's sneaking them off when they're on 120. So, so Jimmy's got them out for two, and they don't go down as quite a good, as good a player. So as good a player as Hoggard was, I do, I do think that's worth, that particular study is certainly worth qualifying. It's a strong argument. I also am slightly disappointed to see that his average against Australia overall was 38.11. Um, well, his average against Bangladesh is 16.73, so I'm slightly sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, however, you've also got to factor in that Hoggy was a great night watchman, so much so they even had a pint named after him at a local pub called The Night Watchman, which you can find out if you get his book. Really good book. Um, but, again, I mean, this team needs a night watchman. We've already got the flashy players, like you said, Rob, but what if, you know, Wicket Falls, 10 minutes before the close of play, it's getting darker, who are we going to send in? Hoggy will go and do that job bravely. We are faced with a very tough question, aren't there, aren't we? Because we've got, you know, we've, we've basically got, in terms of third seamer, we've got Broad and Anderson, who are head and shoulders above, you know, any seamers England have had in the past, what, 15 years. Um, and we're left with very able seamers that on their day would change the game. Um, or the likes of Hoggard, which were very dependable, but again, won't go down as, as a great as such. Um, if you see what I'm saying, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a very tough question. Well, let's, um, I think Hoggard might go in the maybe part. I think to kind of, it's important to know who they're bowling with. So let's quickly turn to Jimmy and Broad to see if, you know, are they definitely going to be selected? I think Anderson will. I wonder if there's a few more question marks over Broad. We'll see. Um, but Anderson certainly, I mean, his, his stats are mental. 584 test wickets, an average of 26.83. 28 five-wicket hauls, 27 four-wicket hauls, three ten-wicket hauls in a match. I mean, this, his statistics are so much better than actually everyone else's. I mean, his average in particular, consider that noticeable a bit lower than every other person on our list. Broad next closest on 28.5. You do feel that to not pick him is, is unthinkable, right? Yes. He's just got better. So I was on mute. So I was hoping Freddie would weigh in with some really insightful response. What is there to be? What is there to be said? His stats are—he's just unbelievable. Like he's just got so much better as he's gone on. And I'm looking at his averages, and they're just pretty good against everyone. Like the worst is sadly Australia, but I suppose that's what happens when we go and get shellacked five 0 every other year. Um, so his average against Australia is 34.56. But his um, home average, 23.76. Away average, 33.36. Which I suppose isn't surprising because he's so good at home and he is a swing bowler. But I think he's worked very hard at his game to still be very tight and to still be effective away. So 33 is not disrespectful. Yeah, that's that's his economy is 2.95 away as well. So he clearly, you know, he doesn't, he's not loose like he might have been earlier in his career. So, I mean, yeah, Anderson's just a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at it all. I remember his first test match against Zimbabwe. We had awful frosted tips. And the, we saw the raw talent there. And there's, there's always been a, a joy, really, to see as time's gone on, him just get more and more and more control, but still have that and the raw talent to be able to basically swing it both ways and just rip through top orders with quality new ball bowling. So I actually think he's the, aside from maybe Cook, 
he's the most clear-cut selection of anyone in the in the team. Him and Cook, there's been no one who's been anywhere near as good as them, opening the batting and opening the bowl respectfully. So Anderson's in. Like, we get that out of the way now, so at least we know he's definitely in the side. So there's two slots left. It's all going to come down to that third seamer, presumably. But let's quickly turn to Broad. Again, I mean, statistics are excellent. 485 test wickets, an average of 28.5, definitely on the, the upper end compared to Anderson, but still very, very good. And then those key things, those 21 four-wicket hauls, 17 five-wicket hauls, just point to his match-winning ability. And as we talk of moments, I think this is what really seals the deal for him. It's those, it's those spells. It's the five wickets of the Oval in 2009 to win that final test match and therefore win the series. It's a uh, hat-trick against India, I think it was in 2014, as he ran through them to really seal one of the test matches. It was the eight for 15 at Trent Bridge, bowling Australia out for 60. It was taking all his wickets in, in South Africa. Not yeah. the recent one, but the one before. Of, you know, suddenly they were 20 for six and the game was over. He's done that. It's perhaps frustrating that he doesn't do it all the time, but he's done it enough times. And when he's not quite on the song, he's still solid, going at yeah, two and a half, three and over, picking up wickets here and there. Though, I think also at the beginning and end of his, not end of his career, but to now, there's two things for me. The first one is that first five of hall you mentioned, not the first five, you know, the first spell against Australia in 2009, where he really announced himself because I don't think he had until that point. I don't think his place was anywhere near secure. You know, he had a fairly middling ashes to that point. Um, and then that spell was just unbelievable. And it was so wonderful. And for me, it's my favourite broad spell because it was so unexpected. It was the first time he'd done something like that for us. And it was just so good to watch. And it was at such an important time. You know, the game was flying away from us until he did that. And then and the game and series. Um, and then for me, the second part of it is looking beyond those spells and those moments is how good he was as leader of the attack in the most recent Ashes series. You know, no Anderson. He's asked to lead the attack in the Ashes first time in his career. And he did it wonderfully. His pace was really up. His pace was up at 87, 88. He had Warner as his bunny, which was wonderful to watch. I mean, that really cemented Broad's place in my heart, if it wasn't already. If we're thinking about bowlers that are very good against a, you know, a certain type of batsman, um, left-handers, Broad is just all over them. They, they really struggle with his angle because obviously early on in his career he was a more of an outswing bowler but he kind of his wrist position kind of changed such that he would you know begin he'd be basically angling the ball in which which means that he takes it away from the left-hander which Warner really really struggled with um so I think obviously that, that counts in, in his favor if not his credible stats um do, do we have to I know you know he's essentially a shoe in but do we have to think about him as a dressing room presence what do we think about that well, um, KP as well I mean we're gonna need we're gonna need Vaughan and Stewart to be really you know making sure that Broad doesn't overstep the mark because you're right you're right Freddie he, him and KP in the dressing room could be fireworks especially when Chuck Swan into the mix yeah because they yeah. were that Swan Anderson Broad who are going to be three of our four-pronged main attack were definitely a, a trio for quite a long time, got on well. There was a bit of a bowler's union against the batsmen. My hope is that, I mean, that they're perhaps they're, they're, they're older, they're more mature, they're, they're more rounded individuals now. And so perhaps, and they've had some, I mean, certainly Swan and Broad with his batting have had some humbling experiences of, of more recent times. Swan with the kind of ignominy of how he had to retire and Broad with his, uh, yeah, with his batting basically completely going to pot. 
I think, I, I hope maybe they're more humble characters, more rounded, perhaps. If, for, for me, I don't know, I always, I always liked Stuart Ward. He talks nicely to Mark Nicholas and Michael Afton after, after a day's play. He seems like a friendly fella. So, so from what I heard, um, from what we all heard, I guess, we all read the same news reports, is that there had been quite a nasty culture developing, particularly on the field. With Jordan Anderson's bowling, e.g., if there was a misfield, a drop catch, they really let the fielder have it, which is acceptable to an extent. But I think it was getting pretty poisonous to the extent that new players were really scared of them. And I think that's partly what Peterson took umbrage with, other than a lot of other stuff. When Peterson tried to stick up sometimes for the new players in the dressing room. And I think Swan was also getting in on that. But I think because of the backlash they received and because of all of the drama that happened, I get the sense it's not quite as bad. And maybe, like you said, Rob, they've mellowed out a bit. The only final thing I'd say on Broad is I want Broad in my team as long as he agrees to never, ever, ever think of himself as the enforcer of the attack. Because I think we can all remember that bit of Broad's career where he suddenly started bowling around to bouncers at the Sri Lankans and Indians. And he, they kept talking about him as the enforcer. He took no wickets. And then the next series starts pitching up, he starts taking wickets. And they're like, wow, wow, pitching up Broad wickets. But um, So as long as he never, ever sees himself as the enforcer, he can be in the team. Yeah, I, I, hopefully he's learned from that. And I think my final comment on him really is when we talk about moments, two of my favourite moments of watching cricket live involve Stuart Broad. One was his incredible 169 against Pakistan at Lords. A test match sadly blighted by the spot-fixing scandal. But it you was, there as well, Rob? Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I was, oh, wow. It was a great innings and it was, it was great to watch. And there is that reminder of, I mean, we can't in some ways pick and choose like the best bits of players perhaps if we're picking him now we've got to accept his batting isn't what it was but you kind of feel that oh it was great when he was in full flow flailing oh. the drives oh no, no i was just gonna say every now and then it is fun when he'll make like a 40 and you can see those those old you know aerial drives and slices over point and stuff like that so it is nice when it when you do see it but most oh. of the time he's getting pinned by a yorker first <laughs> first up I also enjoy it. I mean, I know he can't play short balls anymore and that's why his batting's gone to pot. But I also do enjoy it when they bang it in short and he just, with absolutely no technique, swings the bat at it and it's got a 50% chance of being caught in the deep or 50% chance of top edging for six. And it is very fun watching those cameos. Um, and him and Swan together could be quite lethal, actually, in a little counter-attacking punch. So don't do, I don't, we shouldn't discount his batting, even though it has got a lot worse. No, for sure. And the, and the final thing, we're talking about moments for me, my, yeah, my favourite moment watching live cricket, the only time I've ever been to Trent Bridge. I was there and we bowled out Australia for 60 and he took eight for 15 and it was wonderful. Uh, and for me, and until the day I die, that'll probably be the best period of English bowling, a spell from an individual bowler that I'll, that I'll see. It was just so great to watch. And for that, for that alone, really, I'd want him in the team. So I'm pleased we've selected both him and Anderson. So then we're back. We've kind of, we've got that out of the way and we're not really the elephant in the room, but we've just sort of dealt with that. We know who 10 of our 11 are and it's now that final, final spot. Just so I think we're left with, um, so far we're left with Hoggard, Flintoff. Harmison has been discarded due to his poor away record, maybe harshly, but it's what's happened. Should we quickly talk about the other member of that 2005 Ashes bowling attack? What could have been? Simon Jones offers something a bit different with his reverse swing. And he was fast and a wonderful bowler. And you talk about kind of things like, so five, five wicket hauls, for instance. He only played 18 test matches, but took three fighters. That's the same number as Flintoff. So the impact he had in the small time he was playing for England was really, really significant. But my tantalising thought, isn't it? You know, he, he pitched it up. 
And that's that's literally what you know. All you can ask for fast bowlers is hit the stumps, and he he did exactly that. It is it's it's tantalising, isn't it? What might have been. Also, good book, and he came to speak at our uni cricket thing, and he was great, wasn't he? He's great value. I I missed it, so I'm un, unable to comment. Sadly, that's really sad. Well, what, really good bloke. Monty, yeah, Monty was tarred by his experience of us. Simon Jones was elevated by it. So he's one of those cricketers who was born on Christmas Day. So we've already got Toscothic and Cook in the team. And if we had Simon Jones, we would have three of the 11 born on Christmas Day, which I think is, I mean, what are the odds? It is extraordinary. It's one in 365. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not one in 365, if you times it out by, you know, the 11 players times 365. Very true, very true. The odds are far greater than that. Um, but no, sadly, it has to be mentioned, of course, because he was really good. But ultimately, he just didn't play long enough. And I don't think, I've said time and again after Michael's many attempts to pick players based on 2005 Ashes, that I'm refusing to pick any players based on their performance in that series alone. So Garrick Jones got cast by the wayside. And so sadly, his namesake, Simon Jones, I just think we can't pick him. As good a player as he might have been, to only take 59 Test wickets when we're talking to other bowlers on this list have taken over 200, two of them have yeah. taken over 400. Uh, it just doesn't quite, doesn't quite feel right. You mentioned the namesake thing, Rob. That has just made me like, you know, from the deep depths of memory, I was so surprised, aged 11, when I got told that Simon Jones and Garrett Jones weren't brothers. I think <laughs> I just assumed. And I think I said it to my dad in passing, he went, they're not brothers. They don't look anything like each other. They're not related. And I was so surprised. Can you just see Jones, Jones in the batting lineup? That is, that is, I like that. It's funny. And of course, one thing we're saying, of course, with that common Welsh surname, is he's the last Welshman to play Test cricket for England, I believe. It's been a, a long time since then. It is, of course, the English and Welsh cricket board. But not is that much. Right? Yeah, but not, I don't think there's been anyone in Test cricket. I'm trying to think, but I think you might be right. Oh, wait, no. No, he's not. I was about to say Darren Malland. He's definitely not Welsh. No, not even slightly. Despite, <laughs> that, despite the David uh, first name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I, think that, I think that's correct in saying. Of course, in the past, around that time, slightly before Robert Croft and I suppose Garrett Jones kind of counted, but he wasn't really well. He was Australian. I suppose, next, I suppose the next hope might be Nye Donald, but I think he's dropped off the form quite a lot since his first good season. For yeah, and sadly the player might have been, would have been Tom Maynard. Uh, but yeah. that sadly, sadly died okay. a little while ago. So it wasn't to be for him. So um, not Tom Jones. I'm pleased we've mentioned him. I think it's important because he, he was really good and he could have been amazing for quite a long period of time. But I don't think we can pick a player off such a, a limited... Because maybe that was just the one time he was really informed. And over a longer career, we would have seen more of the lows, like a Harmison. Uh, that could then undermine them as being worthy for his team. Whereas an Anderson... Broad and some of the others sustained their ability for, for a longer period of time. So I think actually on that, just final word, Tom Jones, he's not getting picked for this team, but just the rest of his career, obviously he didn't play for England again, but he did, he became a very effective T20 bowler. And actually his first class record in the seasons he managed to get out were, he was still wonderful, still took over 50 wickets, average in the mid-20s, I believe. So he remained a really good bowler. It's just such a shame with his injuries. Yeah. Should we talk about Goff and Caddick quickly? Yeah, well, I'm about to say Andy Caddick is my big. I had it with Mark Butcher for the number three slot. So, and this is my equivalent now in the bowling attack. I think Andy Caddick is in with a great shout for being selected. 
I, I'd love you to get up one of your Galvis stats through the waveform. I'll just run through for the listeners at home his more general statistics. 234 test wickets, an average below 30, which is significant because a lot of these bowlers don't have an average below 30. And but here's the really key thing, an excellent strike rate of 57.9, 13 five-wicket hauls, nine four-wicket hauls, one tenfer as well, a great bowler and a hugely underrated bowler. I totally agree. And um, oh, yeah, serious stats. I mean, everyone has, everyone has better stats, you know, when they win games, but averaging 19 in victories. So really a bowler that it ch- changes a game and wins you a game, um, I would say. But is he slightly, ever so slightly out of our time range? I don't know about you, but I associate him with, the, with an England team of the late 90s and early 2000s. And obviously, you know, Rob, you're a badger, so you're watching cricket out of the womb. But um, is he? D- d- does he count? My, he's before my time. Yeah. Do, are we? Are we? Are we counting him in in our in our sort of era? If that makes sense. I I want to because I remember him taking wickets. He certainly. I yeah. I certainly remember him being part of the early England team. I could. I still remember thinking he was so old because he had grey hair. So I mean, he, he was quite old by the time he finished. I mean, he was sort of. 35, but I thought, I kept saying that I can't believe this guy's in his early 50s still playing for England. On the statistics, I'm very sad to see because I don't, I don't want to pick Andy Cannon, but um, his, his away average is 29.7, his home average is 30. So he's actually better away, which is, uh, which is very good for your argument, Rob. And what's so his average in the Ashes? His average in the Ashes is 40. Ah, oh, gutted, I thought that includes, that includes home and away, although it's not really fair to him because we were just getting pasted every single Ashes at that point. Yeah, and he probably had a better batting lineup than, than Simon Jones, Hogarth Harmson in 2005 because instead of David Martin, they had Steve Wall, and instead of Simon Cathedral, they had Mark Wall. So, yeah. I, I, w- I would say though, his bowling average is wonderful in wins, you're right, Freddie, 19.67. But his bowling average in losses is 44.85. Which... He was the key player, mate. He was the one taking the wickets. He had no one backing him up. The one who wasn't taking the wickets and the team weren't doing well as a result of it. Like, you know, you've got to take both sides of it. Those wins, mate. When Andy, all I can say, Andy Caddick, match winner. When we were on... Right, when right, on... Let's put him on the maybe pile. What about Darren Goff? Okay, Darren Goff is... I mean, similar, again, similar era. I feel he, he crept a little bit more into our consciousness because he was still playing one-day cricket into 2006. And, and he also made that first summer I really watched cricket, which was 2003, that whole series. He played a bit. So he had a part in that test series. He certainly played, played at Lords, I remember. So he, he, I feel he definitely qualifies for this era. Average of 28.39. Again, a bag full of fifers, fourthers. Uh, a really authentic swing bowler shorter stockier had that kind of textbook side on action and a, and a great and a great bowler and a, an enjoyable cricket pundit now and summarizer for talk sport so i'm a i'm a big darren goff big darren goff advocate yeah very good um very very uh oh, what's the word kind of equal stats across playing well different teams as well averaging his worst average against uh, South Africa, and that's 38. 30 against Australia, 20 against New Zealand, 22 versus Pakistan, um, 25 versus the West Indies. So, like, to me, point, that suggests... Yeah, 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 yeah. 30.81 average in the Ashes. Like, 70, yeah, 74 wickets. In the same period as Kavik, so he stood up. I think that's really compelling, actually. I wasn't considering Goff, because, again, he's a bit before my time. But if we're going to pick someone slightly before my time, I think I'm weighing in on Goff's side rather than Kavik. Also, 
His average loss is 32.28. Average wins 19.94. He was always there. What a fighter. And he could bat. I'm, yeah. I'm disgusted. I mean, for Andy Callick, as someone who is between six foot four, six foot five, bowls slightly slower than you'd hope, seam up, and has sticky out ears, there's something about Andy Callick that I really identify with. <laughs> get selected. But, but I accept that Darren Goss' numbers are, are slightly better. He fits slightly more into our era as well. So let's, let's, we've got to be cutthroat here. We don't have that long left. So I reckon Kanek, along with Harmison, two players that were, for me were right front runners. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to let go. But Goff will certainly put in that maybe pile for the final showdown. So Flintoff, Hoggard, Goff. Any other names we want to throw into the mix before we, before we kind of make a decision? I think it's time. I think we've got to. I think we've got to make our decision, haven't we? So, in terms of a short list, I, I will quickly. I, I've got one. I just want to throw a couple of people who we're not going to talk about, but I think a good bonus from this era. Just two. One's Ryan Sidebottom, a left armer, so it would offer something different. Again, he, he took under hundreds Test wickets, but an average of twenty-eight point two four, five five wicket hauls in twenty-two matches. Numbers very good. Was part of the England twenty twenty World Cup winning side as well. I really like Ryan Sidebottom, so I just wanted to throw him out there, even though I don't think he'll be selected. Because he's... For me, he really manfully filled the breach in between, you know, kind of the ending of Hoggard and Harmison's time and the beginning of Broad and Anderson, and I think he was that crossover guy, and I think he did it wonderfully. Yeah, I agree. And the only other one is, he's sadly, because it's all kind of unravelled for him, but it's Stephen Finn, who took yeah, well over 100, 125 test wickets, again, a hat full of fifers, fourfers, and has a, a really strong strike rate at around the 50 mark, which shows he's a natural wicket-taking bowler. It's just a shame that it, his cricketing career hasn't panned out as one might have expected or hoped when he was our age, 23-24, now as he's 31. It's all Graham Smith's fault. Is everyone aware of what I'm referring to? When, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He dug Graham out that, that old archaic rule, didn't he, about um, clipping the stumps to your knee, and it just ruined his, ruined his action. Yeah, literally, his career spiralled. Obviously, there were like high points again, but it really did go downhill from that point. It was a, it was sad to see. Um, but I think coming back to our three, I think my immediate thoughts are we've with 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 Flintoff in terms of who we can actually take out. Um, we've got game changers. We've got Stokes and we've got Broad. Do we need another you know quote unquote game changer who might in the interim be quite inconsistent? Um, I'm inclined to say that we, we don't need Flintoff, actually. And we, would, we need someone more reliable who's actually uh, an Anderson-esque bowler who can keep the pressure on like a, like a Goff and a Hoggard. Freddie, um, I like the way you're going with this. I really do. And I can, I can see that Rob's, grind, I reckon Rob's grinding his teeth right now. I was going to fully go for Flintoff if you went for Flintoff, Freddie, but I'm glad you've gone this way. Flintoff's out. Wonderful player. You know, great 12th man. But you're right. We need someone reliable. Someone whose name rhymes with Daffy Doggard. No, um, absolutely not. I'm coming charging in here, sticking up for Andrew Flintoff. If we pick Darren Goff or Matthew Hoggard, we've basically got three medium pace away swing bowlers. They're all the same. And I, I, I feel we lead ourselves down a path of a yeah, very monolithic and, and similar bowling attack would struggle to take wickets when conditions weren't in favour. And when they are in favour, well, we take, you know, Matthew Hoggard's kind of sitting there twiddling his thumbs because. Anderson and Broad have ripped through the top order already, and so there's nothing for him to do. Similarly, it's all right. We've got Graham Swan, we've got Stokes. It's absolutely fine. I think, you know, I think it's a really good shout by Freddie. 
No, oh. I'm not having any of that. I, I know that Kinniston, all he wants to do is pick Hoggard. So I'm just going to say flat out now that Matthew Hoggard was an average bowler. Well, well luckily, we're going to have a vote. <laughs> it's all going to talking about moments. Matthew Hoggard got hit for six fours in a single over. And that, for me, enough is enough to write him off as a Luckily, we've got less than a minute, so we've got to go to a vote. So, uh, I think closing arguments. So, Rob, what's your closing argument, other than the fact that Matthew Hoggard is an underappreciated and maybe misunderstood bowler by yourself? Okay, well, I have to vote tactically here, because my order would be um, probably maybe Goff, Flintoff, Hoggard, possibly Flintoff, Goff, Hoggard. But I kind of always want you guys to go first, so I can judge who's gaining the more support from Freddie ahead of Matthew Hoggard, who would he rather have Goff or Flintoff? And I'm going to back that horse because I wouldn't have, I'd have Matthew Hoggard after Andy Canick, Steve Harmison, and possibly Ryan Sidebottom in my team. So I can't have him being picked. Right, I so I, I think the way to do this then is me and you go first, Rob, and then Freddie gets the casting vote. That's the most drama way. Yeah, that is true. And it does seem the fairest as well. It stops the kind of the vote rigging that I've definitely attempted in the past and on this <laughs> All right, Rob, so there you go. What's your, you go first. What's your choice? Okay, if I have to pick... I'll, we'll do, we'll, like we did with number three, we'll rank them one, two, three. So I'm having Flintoff's my first choice, Darren Goff is my second, and Matthew Hoggard is my third. All right, I'll go um, Matthew Hoggard first, obviously. don't know why I even really paused. Um, but then number two, Flintoff, number three, Goff. So it looks like uh, we're going with Hoggard, because I'm going Hoggard... Goff, Flintoff <laughs> as my as my order. So we got Hoggard with two position ones. I can't believe and, you said that, mate. And, <laughs> so he's, so he's got a, a terrible haircut. <laughs> he's like he's like he's literally a pound shop, James Anderson. But the people, oh. have, the people have spoken. The people have spoken. We've got enough. Listen, okay. Think about this totally rationally. We've got game changers. We've got Stokes who can bowl fast, fiery spells. We've got Anderson and Broad, who are just two world-class teammates. Do we need another erratic game-changer, or do we need someone that's dependable and can work erratic, alongside? Erratic game-changer? <laughs> economy of under three. Better, <laughs> better record away than at home. <laughs> Hoggard's, Hoggard's economy is 3.26 compared to Windows 2.97. Yeah, but you've got to consider, Rob, he kept the shop floor clean, you know, like, as, as Fletcher famously said. And he'll never let you down. He'll never let you down. I mean, Matthew Hoggard is, for those of the listeners who do like rugby, is like the ultimate kind of Chris Robshaw style cricketer. He's solid, he's decent enough, he'll do a job. You look back and think, yeah, he was decent. But we're looking, this is a dynamic team. It's going to be thinking of all those players we've looked for over the solid, stodgy, average player. Time and again, we've had those two choices. Do we go with the exciting Marcus Triscothic or the more safe Andrew Strauss? Likewise, kind of Jonathan Trott compared to maybe a Michael Vaughan. Or, and then here we are, the big selection, Seema, a bowling attack that's going to scare the living daylights out of opposition. And they've got a slightly overweight Yorkshire farmer bowling sort of like little meadows. <laughs> no, you, know what, you, know what, you know what, Rob? You're a bit, you, no one likes a bit of me. Um, no one likes a bit of me. And we decided to invite Freddie on. We all love democracy. And I think we've got to abide by that vote. In times where democracy is under threat by populism, I think, I think we have to stick to democratic principles and go with Matthew Hoggard. 
Look, Rob, did you, I know, I'm sorry that you didn't get Butcher over the line. I think when Freddie was, was Freddie on that one, or was it? Yeah, Freddie has conspired against me twice. <laughs> I need to fill this podcast with more of my guests, with my, my opinions. I need to vet them before they come on and make Look, sure it that makes this po- it makes our lineup more interesting, right? We could have just picked an Ashes legend. We could have picked someone who made a bit more sense to have a bit more of a varied attack in India. But Freddie's been really brave here by going with the not obvious choice, and I really respect that. Well done, Freddie. And um, I'll send you my copy of Hoggy's book in the post. I couldn't. I remember when, I remember after the Brexit vote, Ellie Golding kept tweeting that she felt sick. She was so upset and hurt by what had happened. And I thought, wow, that's pretty pathetic. But I think I know how she feels. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I I can't believe it. Anyway, there we go. There's our 11. I'll run through (laughs) it one more time. Oh, well, quickly, batting order, just as we finish. Are we saying Swan or. Broad, eight or nine? I think Swan, then Broad, then um, then Hoggy, then Anderson. Yeah, fine. Even though Anderson's a slightly better test average, he's it's inflated by that 80-odd, perhaps. Um, yeah, and Hoggard as a night watchman, we, we'd have as our, our first choice there. So then there we have it, in batting order, Alistair Cook, Marcus Triscothic, Michael Vaughan as captain, Kevin Peterson, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, Alex Stewart as wicketkeeper, Graham Swan, Stuart Broad, Matthew Hoggard, and James Anderson. There's our 11. We will be having, we will actually, we won't say who it is. We've got a very special guest coming on very soon, don't we, Michael, to discuss our 11. I'm hoping that he'll back me up on the Hoggard dilemma. And I'll be interested to hear his thoughts on a number of our selections. Uh, That will be revealed in due course. It has been in the back of my mind during this whole discussion. I think I'm going to get lambasted for this next week, but oh well. (laughs) I hope so. so. But many, many thanks, both of you, for joining me. Uh, Freddie, your last appearance on Hit the Six, but it's been a pleasure for the times we have had you on. And um, yeah, Michael, see you soon. See you guys. Thanks.